Welcome to episode 284 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada. We have a really great show for you today. I had a chance to sit down and talk to an individual who I think is doing a lot of really good stuff for the pinball hobby. You know, we hear a lot about expanding pinball, bringing pinball to new people, bringing pinball to new cities, getting new pinball machines into homes, getting a new generation of people playing pinball. And a lot of people, you know, talk about it, but only a very, very few amount of people actually do it and actually dedicate their lives to making pinball expand out in the world. And on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, I'm going to sit down with someone who had a little bit of a controversial thread on Pinside. His name is Nick Parks, um, owner of the pinball company, um, owner of the Silverball Pinball Barcade, um, a man who's about to open up the Chicago Pinball Hall of Fame, and really awesome guy. And, 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 and this is going to be a little bit of, of, of a podcast where we only air the interview, and I'm going to do a separate sort of pinball news podcast later on, simply because uh, Nick and I had a very lengthy talk. And you know me, I have a policy where I don't want to go anywhere near two hours, and we're going to be close to that, but I think it's going to be worth it. I think you're going to hear a lot of really interesting things. We're going to talk a lot about... Um, all the things Nick has going on. We're going to talk about the Jetsons pinball and how that came to be a spooky title and almost was someone else's title. We're going to talk about Scooby-Doo. We're going to talk about um, the WeFundMe thing that people have been talking about back and forth. Um, So I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I think you're going to walk away from this interview um, the way I did, just thinking that Nick is a good guy who's trying to expand pinball out in the world. And I think we need more individuals like him in the hobby who are doing a positive thing to grow this sport, this hobby, and this collectible thing that we all enjoy, all right? So everybody, without further ado, Nick Parks. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to Canada's Pinball Podcast a very special guest. Uh, He is the founder of the pinball company, uh, the Game Room Superstore back in 2006, um, owner of Silverball Barcade in Columbia, Missouri, is planning to open up a pinball hall of fame in Chicago, hopefully sometime in 2019. Husband, father, and from what I can gather from a lot of people, Nick, an overall really good guy. Welcome to Nick Canada's Pinball Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Nick, now, I've... I've sort of seen the pinball company over the years as, as anyone who gets into the hobby. Um, you started an online retailer for pinball many, many years ago. Um, for listeners of the show, just do you want to walk us through what it was like starting a pinball retailer or a coin-op retailer that many years ago and, and what led you to do that coming out of, 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 of an MBA degree? Well, um, to be honest, I you know, at that point, if you would have asked me, I was if if, if you told me I was going to be selling pinball machines for a living, I would have told you it's absolutely crazy. I didn't have any um, real connection with pinball machines. Certainly, I'd played pinball machines. Probably played a lot more Mortal Kombat and NBA and NBA Jam stuff like that when I was a kid. But um, you know, I had no. It was just kind of a weird situation that I ended up doing what I'm doing. But um, long story short. I wanted to actually uh, teach college, so I applied to some PhD programs at some big schools, and um, 
those didn't fall through. I got on the short list, but they said ultimately they didn't think that I was going to be a, a good researcher. That I was probably a little bit too extroverted <laughs> for, to do what it's going to take right. to, to be a PhD student. And they were probably right, honestly. I really just wanted to, you know, um, edu- educate and mentor, you know, young adults, be a, be a college professor and, and uh, to teach business. But it, it, it's probably better that it didn't work out that way because I didn't really know how to business at the time other than having an MBA. Right. I just, you know, I just thought it'd be really exciting to be a college professor, but it, it just didn't pan out. But um, I went and got a job. My buddy worked at a um, game room retailer in St. Louis um, started selling pool tables. They sold pinball machines there. And, um, I just thought that's really, really cool. Who sells pinball machines? Um, and we sold a lot. So I thought, let's look into it and see if anybody's doing it. And there was just one company that I saw at the time, uh, BMI in Florida. And, um, I was like, well, that website doesn't look, you know, that great. And he seems to be doing pretty well. So let me give it a try. So I just, you know, what am I going to call this thing? Well, the pinball company, it's not taken. Okay, let's use that. And just every day was like doing this crazy thing, you know, of starting a, a retail company, not really knowing a whole lot about pinball machines. Um, I knew where I could get them. I looked up a pinball price guide and kind of worked up my, you know, wholesale retail model. And we, uh, I guess from what I know, I mean, cause I wasn't looking at other people's websites to see what they sold pinball machines or used pinball machines for. Uh, I just kind of created my own, you know, wholesale retail model and right. just started selling machines based on what I knew I could pay for them and what I knew, um, you know, what I hoped people would pay. I just kind of right. built in a profit margin. And so it was just kind of a weird thing. You know, it's like, I think there's a market for X. You create a website, you, you know, put the product on there and you don't know if it's going to work. It just, fortunately for me, day one, the phone was ringing and people wanted to buy pinball machines. And at that moment you have to kind of decide, okay, am I going to do this? And if I'm going to do this, I have to learn a lot about pinball machines, where to get them, how to ship them, how to repair them. And it's a huge undertaking when you not come from the pinball world. But I, I day by day, I figured it out, you know? Right. And, and, you know, back in that, time period for the most part i mean 2006 you you pretty much only had stern pinball making pinball machines out in the world and if people wanted to buy games and and, and i know you sell everything from the newer titles to even some of the classic games as well you know there really wasn't a a one-stop place to go to right i mean you've got forums you had ebay but for the most part, uh, someone who wants to go buy a pinball machine back then, it's not as easy as it is today with a lot more distributors, a lot more online retailers, a lot more resources in terms of, I don't you know, Pinside wasn't even around back then, right? It's like people were literally had to scrub sort of niche forums, right? To, like, how, you know, if yeah. someone wants to go buy like a Monster Bash in 2006, look how much harder it was then compared to what it is today. Yeah, I think, you know, eBay was certainly very popular and was well into its stride as far as gaining um, users and getting people accustomed with maybe even looking for higher dollar items. I think eBay Motors existed at that time, so people were posting cars and things like that. Um, As far as sources for pinball, Internet Pinball Database was there. I remember our main source um, for buying games wholesale was either eBay or Mr. Pinball. And, you know, of course, after Pinside, Mr. Pinball kind of 
kind of went away or, you know, wasn't something that we visited regularly. But through that, you know, we would get the Mr. Pinball price guide. Um, we would, you know, check eBay. I'm trying to remember, I'm thinking back 12 years. Um, but we, we had some loose collector, you know, connections in the St. Louis area, but not like, you know, we do now with Pinside. I mean, Pinside, it, the platform is great. I mean, right. of course, it connects you with a lot of um, people all across the country who are selling games. And once I kind of got into that world and figured out what Pinside was, not know, I don't know when it created, but and I was probably way late in the game. <laughs> but once I learned about it, I'm like, this is great. And it kind of displaced some of our uh, buying from people on, on Mr. Pinball and really searching eBay every day. It was it was great to be know that we were buying directly from collectors. Um, but yeah, things were completely different. I mean, there was not... I mean, hardly any people selling pinball machines online, maybe three or four. I know pinball sales existed. Um, uh, I know, you know, BMI and maybe one or two others. But if you look at today, I mean, there are a ton of people who in their local markets are making a living selling pinball machines, which is great. Um, I, BMI, obviously, when I read their story and how well they were doing um, with the website that I thought was, you know, kind of antiquated and, and not the way I would do, do things. Um, it gave me a lot of confidence to say, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it. And maybe I can do it better. And I set a goal of, of trying to get more traffic than them and ultimately trying to sell more pinball machines than anybody else. Um, hopefully maybe some of my success kind of rubbed off on people. I know it has, but I mean, it's good. It's a good feeling to know that other people are also making a living selling pinball machines that were inspired by my story as well. Right. So when you and we, I want to, I definitely want to talk, Nick, about like the recent threads that have been going on in Pinside. But in, in, before that, I want it, a lot of people who listen to this show. A lot of them are pinball collectors. When you're, when do you think the most important thing to someone who's new to the hobby is is really having that customer service from a retailer, you know, because these machines, they require setup, they're heavy, things can happen when you unbox them. Is, is it, is what really makes the difference in, is that first pin you buy that the experience is a good one for you to stay in the hobby for a lot of people? I think it is definitely. We hear from so many people who got into the hobby um, because a friend sold the machine or they decided they were interested in buying a machine and they bought a machine on eBay and ultimately buy it from a reputable dealer. Um, they buy from us or someone else and they, you know, they're like, well, I've got these other machines that I bought. Can you help me get those up, you know, up to snuff? Can you help me refurbish those or, well, can I trade those in? Because now that I found a reputable, reputable dealer, I'm going to only buy from a reputable dealer. So these are people who are new to the hobby, who don't know how to work on machines. So um, if, if they have a bad experience right away and their machine's always broken, I'm at, I bet that they kind of get burned out. Um, but if they're real pinball enthusiasts, if they really get the bug and they want to buy Maybe they learn this time I'm going to try to buy from a little more reputable source or maybe I'll buy a new machine. Right. And then we hear so many times these are first time buyers from us, but they have other machines and, you know, they want us to take, take them a trade or help um, getting those machines up to par with, with the refurbished machines they buy from us. Right. And Nick, because you deal with machines that are both from the 90s and, and the new games, 
what's more reliable? Because I've always, I've always speculated on this show. Are, were the older games in the 90s, were they built like tanks to survive in arcades? Or are the newer games more reliable? What was your experience between the two? It kind of, it, over the years, it's kind of, we've kind of swayed back and forth um, in, in our opinions on that. If we go back to 2006, there's one manufacturer. And our refurbishing process was not what it is today. You know, we were figuring it out. I was a pinball technician. I was doing refurbishing of pinball machines, just getting my hands in there, learning how to fix problems. And I was training people to be pinball technicians based on just going out there and learning what they can on, I don't remember the, I mean, maybe rec games, pinball and other news groups and um, things like that. YouTube, there was probably some things on YouTube, but just trying to figure out once you learn how switches and solenoids work, you know, anybody who's relatively technically inclined can figure out how to service machines. And of course, a lot of customers of ours have gone down that path and now, you know, they maybe can't, can't be technicians, but they, they can service and maintain their own machines. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, early on, you know, I was the guy and then ultimately we trained some people and they, and ultimately we landed on the gets, you know, and we've had them for five years and our refurbishing process is amazing. I'm like, just do everything, right? you know, don't worry about using a calculator, what's going to cost to get this thing up. I mean, put new glass, put new, a new coin door, new rails, new balls in every machine, new rubbers. Of course, a lot of stuff that everybody does, but there's certain things that we do that I'm like, you know, let's just go a little extra. Let's make it look as nice as we can. And um, so our, our rehearsing process is very extensive. So now when I tell people in comparison, you know, after our refurbishing product, we do flipper rebuilds. So the flippers are going to play like new. Um, you know, I say, you know, really don't worry about buying a refurbished machine because, you know, it, it's going to have about the same reliability as a new machine. Right. You know, and that's really for people who they really want an Adams family. And we've sold 130 Adams families in the last 12 years. So I'm not going to say don't buy an Adams family, buy a new machine because it's so much more reliable. Right. Uh, after it's been through our refurbishing process and we do what we do, um, I'm confident that it's going to have equal reliability of a brand new machine. Right. But again, we're at a different point we were when we started. Um, and then there was a period of time like in the you know 2008, 2009, 2010 where to me, and I'm sure the collector community, it appeared that new pinball machines were kind of watered down. There weren't a there wasn't a whole lot to them, and in that time frame, maybe in that time frame, I would tell people, you know what, play a Williams game from the '90s or look at a Williams game from the '90s, like a 20 year old machine, and and look at a Stern machine that's been played for a year or two and compare the play fields. And you know, honestly, we the 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 Williams machines that were 20 years old sitting next to a stern machine that was a few years old nothing wrong with the stern machines it's just the Williams machines were made really well i mean the the clear coats on those playfields and and whatnot and and that was a short period of time i don't know i mean for me i noticed that i noticed the difference and then i do think things changed to where um stern was doing a better job with uh clear coating their playfields or whatever the situation was it was i don't know if it was the playfields or what but um, there was a lot of planking. If you remember, like, you know, some of those games from the early, early mid two thousands. A lot of machines, you know, play like Monopoly. You get them in, and they would just have all kinds of planking in the playfield. You didn't see that on a lot of, you know, you know, Williams Valley machines from the nineties. So I think there was a period where 
pinball needed to survive, some cost cutting needed. They were the only people making it, so there was no competition. And I think that at that period of time, I would open people's eyes to, in my showroom, I would say, here, here's a 20-year-old Williams machine. Here's a Stern that's only been out for a few years. You can see, hey, those machines are holding up better. Don't worry about buying a new one because in a few years, it could easily look like this. Uh, referring to a few year old machine, and, not, and I feel bad as a stern distributor saying that, but there was a period of time where I was pushing. We had we made a lot more money selling used machines than new machines, and um, and very easy for me to say, hey, look, buy this World Cup soccer, you know, buy this, you know, whatever your kids are into, whatever you're into, there's something for you out there in a Williams Valley machine, and those are great made machines. Right. And, but then, again, things change. There's no yeah, I mean, I don't think you're. You're, I don't think you're going to see a lot of people say that, you know, it was a golden era when Stern was pumping out CSI and, and Monopoly and, and games like that. And I think, you know, when we look at the landscape now, Nick, it's like there are so many companies, right? And are, are you – we talk a lot on this podcast and we, we see a lot on Pinside the speculation about are there too many pinball manufacturers nowadays? I mean, if we fast forward now and, and, and into the current landscape, there is – there, is, there are a lot of people trying to make money and find customers for their pinball ventures. Do you think the market is, is getting oversaturated? Because we even have more companies promising games to come out in 2019. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, the, the, the quick answer is yes, I do. I think it's getting a little oversaturated. You don't know when, where the tipping point is. Even if you look at like what the automobile industry went through with so many makes and models and out there at a period of time, and then obviously you know there was a worry that uh, a Ford or a Chevy or you know they could that they could go bankrupt um, when there's situations where there's not demand for cars um, because there there was too many choices and some fall out and of course the economy rebounded. Stern could very easily could not have been around, you know. It's, it's very quite possible that um, there would be no manufacturers if it wasn't for you know people investing in Stern at that point and keeping things alive and just and maybe part of watering down pinball machines and cost cutting is why it still survived. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not pointing any blame um, at, at why machines were you know what they were back then. If 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 you were making machines back then and you could buy a uh, playfield for twenty percent less, maybe it didn't quite last as long, but you can make it work. Um, you had to find margin where you could. Right. And so now, licenses, so- you know, maybe they bought the least cheapest licenses they can get, cut down on parts, maybe did less with the play fields in terms of design, did what they had to do to survive. Um, so, but today where we are today and pinball is, is certainly thriving. There's so many people who are making money, manufacturing machines, manufacturing and selling parts, selling machines, operating machines, barcades, amusement centers, Things are good. It's very easy not to make – I mean, it's, it's hard not to make money if you have a generally good business sense and can get in with the right manufacturers and, and things like that. So, right. But that being said, when it's, when it's easy, um, it's easy to think that things are going to continue this way. And I, for one, I'm, I'm positioning myself so that it, maybe, it's, maybe it's not. And so um, what I mean by that is we um, are a pretty diversified company and we sell – a lot of different products outside of pinball. Um, we uh, are amusement operators, so we operate machines. Uh, we have real estate holdings. We have a lot of other investments so that if pinball doesn't do well, 
we can we can survive and big part of that is that we sell used machines right so if there was no pinball manufacturers today we'll be able to mark make a market on the pinball machines that exist right and so that's always been a big part of our business and so that even if manufacturers all collectively fail or we lose a distributorship or whatever happens we'll always have pinball machines to sell because we can just sell machines that already exist which is exactly how we started Right. So, I mean, I, th I don't think anyone would ever say that there's, you know, pinball demand, it's not going to dry up anytime soon, right? I mean, the people, we're around the same age, people who grew up in the arcades and around pinball and, and classic coin-up machines and Street Fighter, we now have disposable income. And, and I think when we, when we go to pinball shows and we see who's buying these machines, uh, you know, it, it's very much a generation that grew up with them, very much a generation that has disposable income. The economy has been great for 10 years in a row. Um, but I guess the question I have, Nick, too, is like you studied business. Are you surprised at the lack of business acumen that is displayed by some of these new pinball companies that seem to make so many business mistakes as they try to get their pinball companies off the ground? And I'm talking about guys like Andrew Highway, Barry and Yop, John Papaduke. For, for every success, it seems like there's two failures. Um, yeah, because the... It seems at times to be almost too easy. Um, people, when when outsiders looking in, and when, even when you see a success story like um, you know like Spooky Pinball, you think, oh gosh, if they can do it, I can do it. Which is of course the the mentality that I had going into this thing, and I so I get that, and 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 so it's very easy for people to say that if 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 Charlie and and company can do it there. Why can't we build a Whitewood and and get a get a license or just come up with a theme and um, either raise money through Kickstarter or however uh, a pre-order sales like Jersey Jack did? How, how, if he can do it, why can't we? And gosh, aren't they rich? Right? Aren't all the, those people rich? I mean, isn't Stern? I mean, isn't Gary Stern rich? Is aren't all these pinball designers rich? Isn't Jersey Jack and all those people rich? And the answer is no. I mean, they're making a living and probably barely, and it takes a lot of hard work. But you're going to have those guys who just don't realize, you know, how hard it is, and are going to give it a shot. And um, yeah, well, I think what happens uh, too, Nick, is like people see the fact that there's there's money to be made, right? There's demand for this. I mean, we saw that when John Papadou could walk into a show without ever manufacturing something in his entire life and people were writing him checks for $16,000 sight unseen, right? And times have changed a little bit, but about maybe like six years ago, you know, people were just throwing money. You All you had to say is, I'm going to make a pinball game and, you know, write the check out to the following company. And we saw people like Skip B take 250 orders on Predator, you know, John Papaduke on his games. Do you think people have finally wised up and are now not going to go in on these like pre-order you know models anymore and that we've learned our lesson and, and we're going to buy from gentlemen like you who have a game that's in a box that you can get to my door within a week i i think that um the end of pre-orders was for me and probably a lot of people hobbit i think wizard of oz jack got a free pass because he was creating a new company and even what he did accomplish, even though he used pre-order money and all that, I mean, what he ended up with in terms of 
the intellectual property and, and, and what led to the machines he's making now is very impressive. It took a lot of hard work and a lot of the right team. Um, in a sense, crowdfunding made it happen and, and the connections that he had in the industry. Um, but when it took so long to get Wizard of Oz out, but yet he ultimately did and then said, here, here's, an, here's our next great game, Hobbit. It, it kind of felt like to me and probably a lot of people that that was kind of a Ponzi scheme that a lot of people didn't receive their Wizard of Oz's were already putting deposits on Hobbits. And then we put up a, a bunch of money for Hobbits as well as a distributor. And it got to the point to where we were worried, are we, are we ever going to get it? And a lot of companies, a lot of you know, us and a lot of other distributors, a lot of other individuals, I don't know where Skip B and all that fits into the timeline, but I just remember thinking, Jack is, I mean, there was lawsuits thrown around. I was like thinking, I'm going to be out $250,000. Um, all my pocket money is going to be gone. And I was already formulating a plan to take care of my customers. I was already trying to figure out how I was going to be right. And the, the, the answer was I was going to pay them all back. And I was going to be personally out that money because that was the right thing to do. Um, and so we were, we were really figuring it out and, you know, it's a lot of money that actually to lose. Um, but we had a plan to make right by our customers. And then I called Jack and I, I talked to him. I said, look, Jack, I, I really don't feel good. I'd like you to get a refund. You know, tell me something, tell me what I need to know. Cause I'm seeing all these stories about lawsuits and how you're probably going to go bankrupt and everything. And he said, Nick, give me. Give me one more week, two more. Weeks. I don't remember what it was. He said, "Give me." I, I, I make didn't say phone. two weeks because that's Andrew Highway's <laughs> yeah. trademarked phrase. <laughs> yeah, he said he said something like, "You know, we're almost there. I can't tell you yet, but just give me all your worries are going to be gone." And then I do remember getting that phone call and him saying, "Here, on the other line, I've got so and so, and he, you don't have to worry about it. We have all the money we need, and and of course." Now we know, you know, they got an investor and all the bills were paid here. I was making calls to some parts suppliers and they were like, yeah, Jack owes me all this money and he's not getting any parts. So I knew machines were going to get made and this Jack paid them. And I knew Jack wasn't going to pay them because nobody else would give them deposits. And I knew so. That, and this was when you thought, well, maybe, maybe game three, <laughs> you know, Wizards of Oz use Hobbit money, but Bill Wizard of Oz's. Maybe you announce game three, pay for Hobbits. But we knew that he wasn't going to get that money. People were like, no, no more. You're done. Make my Hobbit, and then maybe I'll think about giving you money for game three. And he got the investor, which is great. But everybody else, at the same time, Skip B, I, gave, I put out a Skip B deposit. I think I lost that money. Um, you know, I, I, I try to play – I try to support – if someone put a Kickstarter campaign out right now for uh, a game that I thought was going to be cool – and it was like, give me $5,000 in pre-order, I would probably put up the money, just like I did with pre Because I want to support people in the pinball community, and I have that money to lose if it goes, if, it, if I don't get it. Right. So now, I, I don't want to be the only guy, you know, coming up with ideas and making machines and, and making money. And I want to give guys like Charlie with, with Jetsons, I, I wanted to give that business to him because I thought, you know, here's a guy, family guy, just like me, has a dream to create a pinball manufacturing company and, you know, I, so I did the contract deal with him to have him build our machine. So these things, but, but at the time, you know, Charlie, Charlie was at the same point. I can't get deposit. If I can, like $250, 500, that's where we are today where people are comfortable putting a deposit, but they're not going to like put up all this money up front. Like, 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 uh, with predator. Let me, let's, let's, let's play a hypothetical here because 
we 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 all saw that you know Jack got the billionaire investor, which helped him get out of that that quagmire. But let's just say he didn't get that right, and let's say that you you were out two hundred fifty thousand. How could you? How could you save your customers who who paid for it, whose money is now evaporated? You know, because we've seen this happen a few other times with Zidware customers, and like, how do you make someone whole when that money's now gone for good? I think if I'm, you know, of course, I've, I told you I would pay my customers back. So our plan was to um, do deals where we would give them maybe half their cash back and and half credit towards uh, another a different machine, um, or we would have a timeline where we would have all of our customers pay back, you know, within a year. You know, they would all be out of my pocket essentially. Um, right. But I think our customers would have understood. There would have been customers that probably said, "No, Jack has you gave your, you gave our money to Jack. You're we're fine. We don't want you to be out of pocket on." And they would and they would all of course they would hear all the news and they would know why I don't have their money and they're not getting a game. I think, but I always wanted to like have a plan for everybody. Um, I think that if I look at if I'm Papa Duke or I'm I'm Skippy or I'm all the deals that gone bad, every single one of them. I, I look at it from the standpoint of I couldn't – I don't know how I could live with myself if I didn't make good on money that I took from people. Um, I would, And that's why I don't really feel like funding those types of projects that way would really be ideal for me is because I would never take that level of risk with my own money knowing that if, it did, if their money got lost, I would pay that back. So either way, it's my money. So I don't know. It's just, it's just a weird environment and I, I, don't, I have intimate knowledge about – you know, I had good meetings with Papa Duke. I introduced him to Robert Mueller, Deep Root. Um, you know, thought think highly of the guy, but I understand people aren't in that situation. They and they, and they maybe believe more in themselves and not 100% themselves understand the risks involved. Uh, and we could have sold zero Jetsons and we would have been out 400000 but I could have took taken that loss. I didn't make any pre-orders. I would have been just out that money, but it's money that I was – okay losing if if it failed so when you so introducing j-pop to robert so walk me through that so you've you've seen john take the money from people for zidware he obviously bit off more than he could chew he obviously was out money to distributors to vendors was it hard in good conscience to like recommend him get another shot like do you feel like he deserves another shot I when I met with him, there was a couple things going on. I was just getting my feet wet with. Um, I had the Justin's license. I didn't know what to do with it. Stern shot me down. Um, I, t- I met with Terry at Pinball Life. Terry introduced me to Charlie. That went very well. I liked Charlie immediately. Thought he was a good guy. Trusted the guy. I said yes. Here's a contract. You can build my machine. <laughs> I got to hey, look. You built some a machine. So t- let's let's do this. And uh, what can I do to support your business? And then through that, I was kind of looking out and thinking, well, if I'm going to be in the manufacturing world or, or play a role in manufacturing games, I want to see what else is out there. And I, I think I remember seeing Raza, and uh, I think it was Raza at uh, one of the shows, and at the expo probably, and I was like, that's really cool. Maybe what's up with that? And I heard about Papa Duke's situation, and so I really went in thinking – 
where, what's the status? And he had like five or six magic. They look com- like complete games to me. I was like, whoa. So I, I didn't really know the situation, how far the debt indebtedness he was. And he kind of pitched to me how I can invest in him and Zidware and how that could ultimately be my manufacturing operation if I did that. And so you dodged a bullet there. <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't know I dodged a bullet because probably there would have been a second meeting, a third meeting or something. Right. But I was, I was like, I kind of like, I'm not ready now. So let me just, you know, let me get Jetsons done with him and then I'll work with you and maybe you design a game and we bring it to him to design, you know, make or whatever. Or maybe we just build a factory. I don't know. And at that time, I think it was around that time, Robert Mueller reached, was a customer. So here's a guy who, you know, decided he wanted to build a man cave and buy a pinball machine. Kind of got the bug, came, came to visit us and said, no, I want 20 pinball machines, whatever he bought. He bought a ton. This was around the time when I bought Chad Keller's collection out of St. Louis, and it was like 60 games. And he's, I just basically sent him over to Chad's house and said, hey, you're good. your timing's great to start a pinball collection. Go to his house and see what you like. I own them all. I already, you know, I, I've already done the deal to buy them for Chad, so take a look. And he had all these great games, and so, of course, he just, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. Got the bug, obviously got him to Dallas, put him in his man cave, started playing them. And at the time, he was talking to me about, Nick, I love your ideas for pinball. You want to get into pinball. You want to build family-friendly games at $39.99. You can't do it because Stern won't help you, and you know they don't want to be contract manufacturers. You did the spooky thing, and that is what it is. But you know, tell me more about your idea and the opportunity in making pinball machines and maybe at a lower price point. Uh, and so I great conversations with him. And he said, can you introduce me to, um, you know, can you introduce me to Dennis Norman? Can you introduce me to um, to John Papadou? Can you? I was like, yeah, great. Here, here's the numbers. And he, he did all the legwork. He met with Terry and Charlie and, you know, Dennis. And he met with all these people. And I didn't really know what was going on. I just said, here, yeah, if you want to talk to these people, talk to them. And then they told me, this guy is he's got some big plans and I don't know if he's just crazy or just, or what, but you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, I got the perception that, you know, he's, he's ambitious and, and all these things. But, um, and then I just started hearing this deep root pinball. I'm like, what is he really doing it? So I wasn't really involved in past him making those introductions. Okay. And so I didn't really, I didn't go through the ethical side of <laughs> introducing him to Papa Duke and what might come and how that might be perceived by people who gave Papa Duke money. I just like, in, in my mind, I thought, here's the guy who maybe just make good on all those orders. Right, you know? right. And that's how he gets Papa Duke in. And I, and I don't know how he's handling all that, but, and I still don't know the extent of, you know, what he would job John owes people, but um, it was all kind of after I'd introduced him to John and, and, and didn't know what he was going to do with that relationship. Have you, do you, do you feel that deep root, because they, 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 they were at Expo recently um, alongside yourself, Nick. Do you, you, you probably caught wind of some of the stuff they're saying they're going to do. Do you think they're going to be able to deliver? On their, I mean, they're saying stuff like, we're going to have, we're going to make more games in one year than all manufacturers combined. And it's like, wait, you haven't made a single game yet. <laughs> ah, okay, so it's going to get tough for me because... You got an NDA signed? I do have an NDA, but I mean, it's more than that because I have such a good relationship with pretty much everybody in the industry. You know, right. uh, I, I think I think highly of the people at Stern and have great relationship with Gary and John Buscagli and Jim Belt and Shelly Sachs and all those people there. Um, and, and I and I and I think really highly of what's going on, and 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 they're a great company. Um, then you've got 
uh, Jack, and I was the first U.S. distributor. Jack's, you know, we've had our differences in the past, but, you know, I think, you know, he, he's done something very, you know, he should be proud of. He, he got himself out of jam, and now, look, look I mean, he's still, he's building pinball machines. He's still doing what he always wanted to do. Um, so I have great relationship with Jack and, and the Evans family, so I can't say any bad things there. Um, so I, and I can't, and Dave Peterson at Stern as well, you know, a uh, good guy and, and good conversations. And then you go on to Chicago gaming and what Doug Duba's doing there is just awesome. I mean, he's a, we, we've been selling arcade legends and miss Pat Gallagher's from them for years. And the fact that they got the deal done with, um, you know, with planetary and are now making pinball machines, great work, great machines. Um, and there's so many other guys I could tell you, I could give you the whole story about highway and how we were involved there. And, and, you know, but that might be, that's a whole other topic. But anyway, when you get to deep root and what he's doing, and there's certainly I've intimate knowledge because he's a friend of mine and he was a customer he bought all his machines. He kind of got the pinball bug because, you know, he became a customer and we sold a lot of great games and he's Williams Bally collection. You know, he's right. got some Stearns, right. he's got some Jersey Jack games. He's really impartial. Um, and he's, basically taking games and kind of gutted them, had engineers look at them and how can we design these better and less expensive and yada, yada, yada. So I've seen this whole thing and I'm just going to tell you my gut feeling is that he'll be a player. I, years back, I said, there's going to be a machine with an LCD. There's going to be, um, there's going to be probably three main manufacturers. This is when it was only stirred. This is before Jersey Jack even started. I said, look, pinball will make it. It's new technology will be in, in there. There's going to be something with an LCD and all this new stuff. And there's probably going to be three main power. Now, do we have them now? I don't know. Um, Jersey Jack's good. I mean, you have three great manufacturers and arguably there's others that are on the cusp of, of being big players too. I think Deep Root is in a position to be one of those, you know, top three. So, do you think that all that's going to boil down to the ability to manufacture, though? I mean, we we see a lot of intent to to shake up the industry, but ultimately, where everyone fumbles is manufacturing. I mean, and that's really what's crippled Jack's ability to deliver games with enough cadence. I mean, even with Pirates, waiting a year to get it out, get it on the line. I mean, Stern's got this model of every three months, the four months, right? Next game, new hype, new sales, next game. And, and it's like they've got it down to a science. Do you think Deep Root can figure that science out? I think that there's enough. I mean, you have to look. For, for one, knowing Robert, um, he's kind of like me. You know, if it can be done, if anybody can do it, I can do it. Is I think his general thought process behind the manufacturing. Manufacturing pinball machines is way more ambitious than my thought to just sell pinball machines. He has obviously got a lot more to tackle than I had uh, wanting to sell pinball machines nationwide. So he is obviously reaching out to people that he, he trusts and thinks can bring some knowledge. He's got engineers, he's got designers, he's got, you know, you know, finance guys, he's got all these people he's pulled together and he seems to be the type of guy that can pull things together. And I just, just from experience, I would think that he's going to have more challenges than he thinks he's going to have. And he's obviously very ambitious and can say all these things. Um, if he just comes just shy of that, I think it's going to be a great success. So I, I admire his 
ambition. And, and, and you know, you, you know, Elon Musk can come out and say, we're going to build X number of Model Xs or whatever. As long as you shoot for a very high number, even if you miss it, you know, it's going to be successful. And he's, and I'm not saying he's Elon Musk or anything. I just, to me, he comes across as the guy who is going to stumble and he's going to come across challenges that he didn't realize he was going to have. But he's, he seems like he's going to give it a, give it a real go. And um, so that, you know, if there's money behind it, if there's that type of ambitious and there's talent behind it, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dismiss it yet. I, I really feel like people are going to be impressed by what they see in March. So try have, to go. Have you, <laughs> have you seen anything? I don't, I'm not going to ask you to describe anything, but have you seen anything that's made you be like, you know, Steve Bowden's telling us like, just wait. Have you seen anything that's excited you? I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I would be excited about any, I, I get, I'm easily excitable when it comes to pinball. You know, right, I'm right. like, Oh, you're going to make a Beatles. I'll see. Pin oh, I'm excited. I'm, I can't wait to see it play it and sell that. <laughs> um, and so like, it's easy for me to get excited, but I've never been involved with like Jersey Jack. You know, I said, you're going to be Wizard of Oz. Here's some money. I think it's going to be awesome. Not seeing pictures or anything. I just thought what a cool theme and just gave him money. So, here I here I am in learning some things, seeing how he's creating from there, there's no factory built. He's got a guy in there designing the factory. So I'm going in early on it and, and that's it's really exciting to kind of see it at that stage and and for what I saw of what's gonna come out, um, that was the most excited I've been about pinball since Wizard of Oz. Since I knew that there was going to be more than just one manufacturer, right? Have you I was excited have you, to have, you have more choices out there. Did you visit Deep Root? Yeah, I went to San Antonio about a month ago, um, right before Expo, so a month, month and a half ago. Very cool. Well, we look forward to seeing it, and, and I've, I've I've always had good conversations with Robert offline. I guess, well, online, but off the record. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to TPF. I, I think this year's TPF is going to be awesome. I think if anyone wants to go to a show this year where I think there's going to be fireworks, I think it's that one. Um, Nick, talk to me about Jetsons. And, and, and so you got the license for Jetsons and you went to Stern to see if there was a potential for them to um, help you develop a game. Yeah. And what, what was the obstacle there for, the, for, for that? My timing was just probably slightly, just barely off. Um, we were just really wanting a family-friendly game, and we wanted our goal was to build a Jetsons machine, high quality, a little bit watered down from a normal Stern Pro, but just still high quality to sell it at low margin, and and sell it at thirty nine ninety nine. And I knew that only I could only do that with Stern because their their labor costs are so low, and just basically. This is the answer that I got. Um, one, this is talking to Gary, talking to Gary on the phone. Nick, one, we'll never be a contract manufacturer. We have no desire to be a contract manufacturer. And two, you cannot build a machine like you're telling me um, with just taking a few things off the play field, watering it down a little bit, uh, maybe even making it for home use only. And you cannot design, yada, 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 and ultimately manufacture and sell a machine for thirty nine ninety nine just can't be done. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm talking to Gary Stern, don't be too mean, or don't be, you know, don't shoot yourself <laughs> don't push in the back. Foot. Yeah. Would you consider it? No, we'll never be a contract manufacturer. We can't make the numbers work. And then, you know, within months, you know, the whole mid of madness thing happens and 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 they're 
a contract manufacturer. So right. I think we just missed it by six months. Right. Um, and now they're and now they're very clearly um, open to doing short runs. They've done uh, Wonelli. They've done um, uh, PBR. They've done um, you know Batman sixty six was not their design. It was contract build. Um, so and then Beatles of course. Um, so now the conversation is if you brought us a license or a design game, we will bill it. This is what it will cost. And so, so have you? So, there's rumors that you have Scooby Doo. Is, is that is that confirmed, or is that still a rumor? <laughs> I mean, this is here's the truth. You know, the truth is we don't have a contract license deal for Scooby Doo. We never did. We had a license for Jetsons and Scooby Doo, and I did not want the clock to start on Scooby Doo. I wanted to do Jetsons kind of as a tester if i was going to mess something up or make mistakes it was going to be jetsons and then scooby-doo would be the improved um you know attempt um so we dropped scooby from the license and we table we, we created two separate license agreements and we tabled scooby um and so we did jetsons and then i go back and, and we're talking about scooby and certainly anybody out there can go and build and get the license for scooby um it's not necessarily the easiest uh, company to work with uh, from experience, but, and the license is probably going to cost more than most manufacturers want to pay. But if someone wants to do it, I hope they do it because I just want the game to be built. I think a lot of people want to be built, but I have a good relationship and I'm, and I'll do it. I'll, I'll pay a lot of money for that license and I've already got some design done, but I'm also willing to let someone else do it. I'm only if Stern or somebody, or, you know, if anybody if deeper wants to do it, like, get the license and build it, I'm going to sell a ton of them because I know I can sell them. I know it's a family family theme it's when it comes down to Jetsons. We sold like 41 last year. I think the next closest title we sold like was 28 or 30. I think it was like Star Wars or something. Right. But, you know. So ultimately, Jetsons ended up being manufactured by Spooky for the, was it $7,000, Nick, ultimately at the end? Seven, what seven thousand? Um, um, I think the cost was, of building machines. Well, I think the retail price was sixty nine ninety five, and I know now it's 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 you can get it for a little bit of a discounted price. Did they ever end up making all one hundred of them so far? Or, yeah. or okay. So, and again, this is tough because I, I don't really you know talk publicly a lot, and, and this is not prepared. I don't know what you're going to talk about, so I, I want to kind of like you know def, definitely toe the line. I want to give you as much information as yeah, I we can. Don't, we, you don't, we uh, don't have to disclose numbers. I mean, no one ever does, so don't feel bad if 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 we. No, if we I'm the type of guy. I'm the type of guy that will disclose numbers, but again, I'm I just just keep in mind I, I have no ill feelings about anything involved with that. We we did it. I feel good about doing it. The game, when you look at it in the showroom, the artwork and everything is beautiful. Um, is it what we, what we want it to be as at the price we want it to be? No. So when we go in, we want to do a deal at $39.99. We want it to be impressive, and Stern won't do it. Got introduced to Charlie. We talked numbers. Um, he he said he would build the game for, I think, $3,800, all in, labor, bill of materials, everything. I said, sure, fine. I'm just going to have to sell it for a little higher. We talked about uh, $49.99. Um, but keep in mind, I have royalties, you know, all in cost is probably forty-three, $4,400 per machine, um, which is basically, you know, in line with a wholesale cost of a stern machine somewhere in that ballpark, you know? So now we can't do 39.99. We can't do 49 49.99 doesn't really make it worthwhile. And it would became a balancing act between how many can we build and, and sell and what margin do we need to make this a worthwhile venture? And um, 
he, the, the idea said, let's do 300 at 59.99. And that's what, what the plan was. And that's what we sell them for. I want, always wanted to have purple rails. And, and he said, it's going to cost more than the original. And I said, okay, no big deal. Just make me some of those and I'll sell those for 64.99, which is exactly where we're at right now. The whole plan was to build 300. And I presented, this is where things get, you know, anyway, uh, I don't think this is involves NDA, but I really wanted to do multiple machines with Charlie to give him a chance to build his business. And I presented a deal to do the rest of the Jetsons games past 100. Cause that's the only deal I had at the point was the contract to hundred. We had plans for another couple hundred, but we didn't talk numbers about what those would cost me. And we had Scooby-Doo and we had potentially game three and game four. We just called them game three, game four. I think it was about four games. I said, here, here's a contract to build the rest of Jetsons. which is 200 games, 500 at least 500 Scoobies and at least 500 of these two unknown titles. And I'll go out and get licenses. I want to support your business. And I presented that to him. There was a clause in there that involved me being, the, having the ability to buy equity in his company. And I won't say what valuation, but it was up in the sky valuation. And he said, I don't want that in there. And I said, look, I'm not going to give you all this contract. I'm not going to have you build Jetsons, build Scooby-Doo, build the next, two or three games after that. And at that point in time, I think it was a five year deal or something at that point in time, just dropped me. And I think the exact words that I used were, I'm not going to attach my fuel to your rocket. And then when I, when I'm done, you just leave me, (laughs) you know, if you're doing so well because of all this business that I've generated for you and, and enabled you to buy equipment and hire people, if you're doing so well and you decide you don't want to build for me, that's okay. I just want the ability to buy 40% of your company for X crazy valuation. He didn't like it. And I thought, well, all right, you know, let let me, I did I just, I just didn't want to take that risk of doing. And at the same time, you have to realize that I'm taking a lot of risk by, doing that type of deal with him being a Stern distributor. You know, we, right. we really would be losing some of our allegiance with them by doing that. And so it just, and at the, and there was about this very off that same time when we were negotiating this, I, I did get the sense that Stern may be changing their tune and I would potentially bring Scooby to them. So I was like, well, if you don't want to do the deal and not give me right to buy equity, I respect that. I, I just recently posted on Pinsight today or yesterday or whatever the story about the investor the would-be investor in the pinball company that fell through. And I'm so grateful it didn't, if it did, because I still have hundred percent equity. And, um, and, and at this is the same time, I feel like, you know what, Charlie wants to keep his equity. He feels like his company is going, you know, to, to go to skyrocket. And I don't want to, you know, if he really doesn't want to promise to sell equity, I respect that. I'm going to look in a different direction, but we parted ways only building a hundred based on the fact that we couldn't do that deal. And I was fine. I'm like, no, let's build a hundred Jetsons. Let's do 75 regular, 25 purple. I'm going to sell them within a couple of years and we'll both move on with our lives. And I think it was a good launching point for him to be able to invest some right. of that money in, into his company. And it was a good thing for me to prove um, that we could get to the finish line, which means we, we, we built it. Warner Brothers got paid. Charlie got paid. We have the machines they're selling. There's only a few left. And to me, that's a success. It wouldn't be a failure if, if you know, we, we couldn't sell them or something with a license caused me to, you know, get lawsuits or, you know, <laughs> whatever. I'm, right. I'm pretty much unscathed. The people who have them are families. They love the They love the machine. It's beautiful. And in the end, it's, it's a success story to me. 
is there like why I think Nick, you know, as a distributor and as as a retailer, why even bother like with the risk involved with trying to manufacture something? Is there is there somewhat of a personal desire to be the creator of a pinball game on some level? Yeah, I mean, I just thought it would be kind of a cool thing. I'm, I like projects, you know. I like, you know, like the Pinball Hall of Fame, the like Chicago deal, um, Gamer Magazine, um, you know, the amusement side of the business with the Silver Ball Bar and the Family Fun Center that we have. I, I just, I'm, I'm all about just doing. You only live once. I'm just like, let's just try it. Let's throw some money at that. Let's throw some money at that. You know what I mean? Like a guy like Papa Duke. It's just, you never know what can happen. I just, you know, at some point, I just, I very could have easily gotten a deal with him and said, here, here's some money, let's finish Magic Girl. Um, but, I, you know, some deals you do, some deals you don't. It's just, you just kind of go with your gut and take some risk. And it's, I'm just, I'm just having fun. <laughs> right, right. So speaking of taking risks, we have to talk about the pin side threads that have blown up over the last couple of days. And I know someone found the, the WeFundMe page where you're looking um, to give people the opportunity to invest in your company, right? So walk right. me through, I want to hear from you because I know, you know, what is it like when you wake up one day and there's, there's a pin side thread, there, there's an army at the gate with pitchforks making their own, you know, very emotionally driven statements and walk me through like what it was like first hearing that it was up there and, and the responses you read and, 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 you know, I want to ask a little bit more about, about the whole thing, but what was it like just seeing that thread pop up? So we do, it's smart business to do regular Google searches. Just type in your own, type in the pinball company, type in pinball company reviews, um, type in things like that, that you're going to see what people get. If they type the pin, type in my name, Nick parks, Nick parks, pinball, what comes up? And I saw like toward the bottom, it was on my phone and it was like some threads that pop up, which is cool that the pin side threads get populated in Google results. But it said something about GoFundMe pinball. Everyone was recent. I'm like, what? So I clicked on that and it pulled up the, and I'm not on pin side. I'm going to be on pin side like once or twice a week and I'll just click market and I'll search for a title I'm looking for. I'll try to work a deal with somebody to buy a pinball machine I'm looking for. And that's it. I don't go through and read the threads. I, I really just never do unless my technicians say, hey, do you see that thread about X? No, and I'll go look at it. Or if there's something about us, I'm going to be there and if anything, try to defend myself um, and, and maybe help uh, bring people to the truth of, of regarding things. But ultimately um, – well, in the past, we've always come out unscathed, so it usually just involves me interjecting. And but it, but see, 121 posts on something that about my company that I had no idea was was being talked about on Pinside. I was like, okay, what are these people saying? And so I read the first like 10 or 15 comments. And like my 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 blood is boiling, and I'm thinking, oh my god, these people just don't have a clue. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, how what should I do? Something should I type something? Does it matter? And so I typed a long thread, which is what you see in the new thread I created. And I was going to post it there. And I'm like, you know, why post it here? I'll just create a, a new thread, you know, <laughs> that I post. And I, I didn't never, I never wanted to post it because that's not who we're going after. You and I can go through the backstory of why we're doing what we do, which is obviously it, it's it's honestly a very um, innocent, noble type thing. I mean, I was, most people say, well, that's really nice that you're doing that. It's really nice that you're allowing people who just you know, have been begging you for years, how do we invest in the pinball company to say, hey, here's something, here's a way that you can invest. Um, that's all I'm really doing. Um, it's solving that problem. And it's also uh, generating a base valuation for the pinball company. And when you've got people calling you, having meetings with you saying, 
were interested in buying your company and maybe they make you a lowball offer. <laughs> it's it's nice to finally have a value on a company, which is really difficult to value. So how so does it, there's, so Nick, there's, how, how does it work in terms of? And and I was just reading some of the you know the the first you were looking to raise five hundred thousand dollars for you know giving sort of like a friends and family a twenty percent discount um, minimum return of six percent for the first two years. How do you like how do you evaluate how many shares you get? So say I, let's just say like in layman's terms, Nick, I have like. I want to give you $50,000, right? So 10% right. of what you're trying to raise. How, how, what, what kind of stake do I then have? So for while we're entertaining uh, mergers and acquisitions or even, even be acquired um, by companies I won't name, but as we're entertaining that and what that might look like, you have to come up with a value. Someone has to give a number first. And so you kind of Google, you know, valuations for retail, online retail. We come up with some numbers. Some of my customers I've met with uh, in New York, Los Angeles, uh, venture capital guys, and just said, hey, look, here's my company. Here's the numbers. What am I worth? And, you know, Starwood Capital in New York, um, some venture capital firms in L.A., and they say, here's some, here's some numbers that we might use. And ultimately, being a finance guy, um, you know, I, I look at things and I invest in things based on a, a discounted cash flow model. So what are the values? What are the discounted values of all the future cash flows? I don't want to get above people's heads, but there's there are valuation metrics. And we believe today if someone were to buy our company today, we would be worth one time sales or, you know, roughly 10 times next year's earnings or something like that. If you look at co- public companies today that are trading at 15, 20, 100 times earnings, those numbers you understand. And we look at smaller private companies, they don't sell at those multiples, but but still, you know, six, eight, ten times. So maybe six times if you're not growing, eight times if you have moderate growth, and ten times if you have, you know, or more if you have um, great growth. And coming off a year where we did 50% uh, more sales, or, we, or 50% higher in revenue, and we doubled our bottom line, I thought, you know what, we're a growing company. So let's let's shoot for ten times earnings or roughly one time sales. So that's where we come up with evaluation. So we honestly believe today, you know, given the scenario that we're in, our, our future cash flows are worth around $8 million. So we priced it at $10 million with a 20% discount for family. So that's, that's how we came to where we – so basically if you invested um, – if you invested – what it was – if you invested $80,000 in this offering, you would own 1% of the pinball company. So just use the math based on a, an $8 million valuation. Okay. And – you know, look, I, I have to say, like, I go to a pinball forum, right, to to read entertaining things about pinball, and this the thread did make my head spin with all the different people chiming in with all these different financial analyses of this um, <laughs> offering, and it's it's kind of like I don't even think like Pinside is a place where you know people should go to have this kind of thing because I'll say this, Nick, and, and you you didn't come on there you didn't come on there soliciting people to invest you're not trying to like hoodwink people with anything so and again it's like a free world like if you have this offering for people and they want to take you up on it like you're you're allowed to do that you know it's 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 amazing to me that people almost feel like they get are you ever surprised the stuff by which people get angered by on pin side it's like they're angry that stern made the beatles It, it does. I'm a, I'm not that type of guy. I, I'm pretty I'm a pretty private guy. I I focus my head's down. I'm focusing on my business every day. I'm focusing on my family and friends and doing what I can for them. Um, I'm I, I run a not for profit. President of a charity called Tigers in the Prowl, which benefits local charities. I spend a lot of my time doing charity work. 
So I'm, I'm focusing on my deals, my life, not other. And if, if, if an offer comes to my table, you know how many emails I get every day from somebody, you know, interested in invest in this or, you know, this, whatever, just crazy things. Spend your money this way. And you just, you look at it. Nah, it's not for me. And you throw it away. Even if you think it's a scam, that's a scam. You delete it and you move on with your life. I don't go and, and try to hound those people or email them back saying, how dare you try to do this? And, uh, and people are willing, to, can solicit whatever they want to solicit. So I'm very thrown back and it's just not, you know, the way that I, um, me or the people that I know close to me that I think treat people, you know, and, and it's just, it's, so it's very like, shocking and then and then you kind of sit back and you just try to understand people who are that way and then it just it does come somewhat anger you how people can um you know say things about you not not knowing who i am and not knowing so everybody who has sat down with me even if they went into the meeting having ill feelings about me or what i might be all about once they just get to know me and hear my story where i've come from what i've been accomplished and what I do with my time and my, you know, my life, they realize this is a good guy. You know, he's, you know, he, you know, and, and it's, it's it. It really is the end of all of that questioning. And that's why I always say, and I try to, when things get really, really contentious is let's not get personal. Why don't you meet me face to face? Or why don't you just call me on my office number, maybe even my cell number. And I'll just say, just call me. And, and things get that with customers. Sometimes you get customers that had a bad experience, something and it's completely not, our fault and, and, and we're, we're put to blame. I'll say, you know what? If it's email, text, I'll say, just get on the phone. Let's talk. Let me, let's, let me figure out what your problem is and let's, let's work towards a solution. And so that's kind of where I go is my safe place is like, listen, I know 100% if these people sat down and had dinner with me or just had a drink with me or just had a quick talk with me that they wouldn't feel the way they do. But everyone's on there so faceless. They 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 know they're they they're not they're not their real names. They don't have their pictures on there. They don't know anything about me. I don't know anything about them. And it's just words. So what they put out there, I I really dismiss it because I know that they would not feel that way if they knew me personally. And I but I do feel compelled for some reason <laughs> to try to please people. And it means like let me try to straighten the world out. Let me just try to make sense and help people come to some clarity about what we're doing and when there's just blatant, blatant false news out there i want to try to it's not gofundme when you invest you're investing you get interest on your money and it converts to equity and you're you're just you're a partner even if it's a hundred dollars you're a partner and i'm gonna listen to you and try to show you a return on that investment that's what it is this isn't Give me money so that I can do some project. And so many things out there are Kickstarter programs. Help me build my, create my book. Help me open this store. Help me, you know, re remodel my store. Let me help me make my pinball hall of fame or pinball not, not hall of fame, but pinball museum bigger. <laughs> you know, right. uh, whatever. There's things out there where people are just asking for money for nothing other than just helping and support me. I'm not asking for that. I'm not, I'm not asking for people to give me money to do a pinball project, to build another machine, to do anything. I'm only asking for people um, who have already reached out to me in the past, who have already expressed interest in what we're doing here, is, is hey, if you're interested in investing, here's your opportunity. You probably won't get another one for another five years. So here's an opportunity. And in five years, 10 years, our company is going to be worth a lot more. So do it now. And, this, and, and, and that's it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. That's fine. There's people who didn't invest in me in banks who didn't invest in me when I first started, there's people who didn't invest in me because they didn't think that selling pinball machines would be a profitable venture. And I'm like, 
time. If the if the campaign doesn't raise the five hundred thousand and just goes away, I pay some fees. I pay some attorneys, or not attorneys. But I, yeah, I pay some accountants, some money to prepare some statements that for not. And I go on with my life. It's just it's just crazy because I mean this is just something like is is this much of what's going on in my life? Right. And so many are making a big deal out of it. Right. Well, I mean, look, it's I I. I I did a little uh, research and I called up a lot of people that I trust and I've heard nothing but positive things about you, Nick. So I wouldn't let the the minority of there's just a few little trolls that were trolling the thread and we we all know who they are and I, I wouldn't worry about it. I, I I think I've had to learn too to not take it personally when you, you get a lot of the same people just making personal attacks on stuff they know nothing about. So let me ask you a question, Nick, because I just to change topics a little bit. So well, you before, also, before we change topics, yeah, yeah. let me say one thing. I appreciate what you said, but I also want to say for the record, there are so many people who have sent me emails, PMs, texts over the last couple of days saying, look, and even just posting on the thread, but more people than that, than actually posting people who have Email me. Say, I saw what they posted on pin side. They, they don't have a clue. You're a good guy. Keep your eye on the prize. We believe in you. And that that's it's I don't need that. But it is still nice to hear. It kind of balances out the bad stuff I'm hearing with the good stuff I'm hearing. I know that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a worthwhile person to, to invest in. I know I'm a good piece people person. I'm going to take care of people. And I know that in 10 years, one way or another, I'm going to make good on anybody who decides to, to put their money with me. But right. it just does feel good to say that. But go ahead. Let's go yeah, no, no. Okay, so <laughs> you, you're a retailer, so you also buy games from people, right? Yeah. I want to I get your opinion on what you think a game is worth. And you know how this hobby is because we've got crazy collectors who are after rare items. You know, Adam's Family is your greatest, one of your greatest selling pinball machines of all time. They made 20,000 of them. Right. What if I told you that one of the three – Predator pinball machines assembled by Skit B was possibly for sale. What would you value that game at? Knowing the history, knowing that if you own it, you might be a little bit vilified. But we also know that there's collectors out there that want to have wow. rare items. <laughs> it would probably be worth more than if I we only built a couple of Jetsons prototypes and it, and, and it went away just because of the the scandal that was involved with that in this story it's almost like something that just in, needs to end up in a museum because as a, as a story for how things can go bad <laughs> um so how, how do you even value that for i mean maybe me even personally because you know i'm a collector too i like to buy rare things me even personally i, I might be willing to pay ten thousand. Um, I'm sure that there's guys who have a lot more money who can sympathize with the story even more, and he'll be willing to give twenty thousand. If you look at like King, King the original Kingpins and games that are super highly rare, it's not ridiculous to see things go for twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. But I think I would, me personally, I wouldn't pay even five thousand for that game. But um, it's 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 just like maybe I don't know. I wouldn't really need to know the whole backstory and how many of them existed and everything. But right. it is interest. It is interesting to know, but it's me. I'm highly opinionated about what things I think are worth. And for me, when we look at things, we look at what the collector world might think it's worth and what maybe my retail consumers might think it's worth. So even a game like that, my retail consumers don't know what that is. So there's no money to be made. So it would just be me personally speculating and investing in something part of the pinball history, maybe to put at the Chicago Pinball Hall of Fame. But but yeah, I mean, what's, what are, what are, what's the asking price? 
There is none. There is none. <laughs> it's, it's, it. it's, it's, well, as I told the owner, I was like, it's kind of like pricing a unicorn. Like, where, where do you begin? And I think you're absolutely right. I think to some people it's worth nothing. To some people it might be worth a lot. Those who know the story, you know, some people wouldn't go near it with, with a, you know, a 10 foot stick because they don't want to be part of that negativity. You know, and, and I went through this when I owned the Magic Girl. There is a, a satisfaction and a dissatisfaction with owning something that you know brought so many people pain, right? Because Kingpin didn't bring pain. It just never got made. It wasn't a game that people lost money on. So speaking of value, Nick, and this has been the other big story of the past month is the Beatles and, and Stern's new pricing model for the game, which is interesting to someone like you who's a distributor. What do you think of their you know, sort of three-tiered model on this one where the distributors are at you know, can set the price of, of, of a somewhat arbitrary different version of the game in the platinum and the diamond. Like the game's not any different, but what do you think? Like what's been, what's been the response? Have you, do you, are you getting a diamond edition? Yeah, we're, we're getting, we're getting a few. Um, oh, that's also tough. Um, what do I think of that? I think from the standpoint of Stern, if I'm, a, if I'm at Stern, and for the standpoint of Kapow, if I put up, you know, a million dollars or whatever for the license and was limited to making X number, actually, there's some level of brilliance when you think about it. It's actually kind of smart. Um, so what are they worth? That's another question. Have you priced yours? Um, so I call you yeah, up tomorrow. I've priced, I've priced them based on what I think they're going to be worth or what I think they're worth. Right. And, you know, there's obviously not a whole lot of – this is the first Beatles. So you got to think about the Beatle collectors and the types of customers that are out there. Um, there's more than 13 million millionaires just in the U.S. Um, and some of those guys might think it's cool. So obviously take the cross-section of millionaires. Take the cross-section of billion Beatles fans who also think pinball is cool, and there's easily a hundred or two hundred or maybe a thousand or more of those people. So obviously, how do you get to those people? Um, and I and I feel really bad for saying something like that because obviously we want to get pinballs to the masses, and, and we do sell to the masses. But ultimately, it's it's a lot easier to sell to someone who's a millionaire. Um, so think about think about. Um, I would say I think the diamonds are worth just think of the fact that they're going to make a hundred and it's a different arc package and you think about it as a limited edition somewhere in the ballpark of and this is a big range, okay? Well, what, ten, what, what, okay. I would say anywhere between ten uh-huh. and five thousand. And this is the reason. I, this is the reasoning I have. It's worth ten because the golds are selling for eight if they all if they sell for eight. And it's really just a trim package and a plaque. So what's that worth? I don't know. It's different art. Let's say, let's say it's worth 10. I don't know if it's worth even worth that. What the difference? I haven't seen one personally. But it is kind of cool with the, the diamond stuff the, 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 on the, the powder coating and stuff. It's really cool. So let's say it's at least worth 10. Let's, let's put a bare minimum and things going to be is worth 10. Then let's go to the high side. And it's 100. So what, what else is there that they've made 100 of? There's, there's really not a whole lot to compare it to other than Jetsons, right? <laughs> but that being said... Just because it's rare doesn't make it worth gazillions dollars. We know that's a fact. But it is Beatles, and there's going to be a limited number, and, and there's art of collectors who will buy – when you do limited prints of art in the art world or you do limited um, – really anything in the collector world, they do sell at a premium in collectors. So I would think that there will be people who would be willing to pay 25000 maybe more for that. 
But if you look at on average, you know, I would expect that machine to sell on average for around 15,000. My customers might be willing to pay 20,000. Um, and we'll just see what happens in the second market. Platinum is just kind of in the middle. It's kind of like the LE. So maybe it's worth 10, 12. I don't know. Um, but let's start with the, let's start with the gold. Is the gold worth eight? And that's a question that I'm trying to figure out right now because we've got inventory coming in and we've made some sales, but is it going to sell? Are we going to sell 2000 units at uh, overall at 8,000 plus retail? And that's something that I'm, 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 I'm figuring out. I'm, I'm, my gut, my gut telling is telling me that that's going to be tough. That's kind of like selling, um, dialed ins at, you know, nine or 10. Um, it's, it's, it's a price point that, maybe slightly high for what the game is, but there certainly is, there's this balance of there's certainly people who will pay that kind of money. And then there's the, uh, gosh, for what you get, is it worth that? And, and in terms of the complexity of the game and, and what they're putting into it and, and the license was, was expensive. So that plays a role. So if I'm doing the project and if it's me, I got the Beatles license, I paid a million bucks. I can only build 2000. I'm not a greedy guy. So I probably would have priced the, the gold edition at 69 99, I probably would have priced the um, platinum edition at maybe seventy nine or eighty nine ninety nine, and maybe I think it's kind of smart um, to do a hundred at whatever the distributor and give each distributor a couple. I don't know. I think that's kind of smart, but I wouldn't have priced it at, at eight because I when I look at when I look at it, it, it doesn't quite match up. It's it's really based on the collectability when, uh, when in you, the long long run. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question because. Do you sell games on eBay at all, Nick, or is it all through your website? We've never really sold on eBay. I think about a year ago, we tried it. We put up a store, we put some inventory on there, and, it, and it's stale now. It's not. It's not up to date. But we just we thought that hey, there's there's a market out there. People are looking at eBay, and, and not to say that we won't try an eBay store again. But I don't sell New Stearns or Jersey Jack pins or Chicago Gaming's on eBay. There's plenty of guys who will post them there. Um, I, for me, it almost just kind of cheapens your brand by selling on eBay. I don't know why. It just I just right. feel like. The, the, the reason I ask is I actually put up as a joke listing a, a Beatles diamond for 25000 And in, the, in wow. the copy of the description, it was all just jokes, sort of making fun of some of the pinside personalities. And, and I legitimately got a real offer for $25,000 from a Beatles fan. Oh <laughs> and it, but then he kind of freaked out because he's like, well, what number is it? I'm a collector. Like I heard that only distributors have them. And then, yeah, I was like, I was like, look, well, dude, I don't, it was a joke, but like, if you really want one, I can connect you with a, a distributor that to get <laughs> I was like, one. Do you have a phone number? I'll kill them tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, I honestly, I, I think there are some people out there that will go in on that price. Nick, do you think, you know, seeing all the, and, and, and then, you know, we'll wrap it up in a little bit, seeing all the effort that Jack puts into his games and, and, and he's, you know, everything in the kitchen sink, all the engineering, and then you see what Stern is able to do with, with their LE model, and they sell these LEs at $9,000, and mm-hmm. you put it next to a Jersey Jack machine for $9,000, and you can't help but feel like, again, Stern has figured out the right science to create enough hype and a limited number of supply on the LEs to really create like a feeding frenzy when they have a hot title at launch. I think we're going to see it with Munsters. I think you're going to see like sold out day one. And <laughs> do you ever feel like why don't more people just look at what Stern does so successfully and try to emulate it versus always trying to do it differently? 
Yeah, I mean, Stern has years and years and years of experience, but they didn't always, you know, have it figured out. You know, they didn't know that you could sell pinball machines for nine and ten thousand dollars until they're, they they looked out in the market and said, "Wow, that you can." And you know, Stern is like any business. You know, at its core, you you want to make a profit, and so. Um, they're going to toe that line at times and maybe even pass the line as to what they can get or what they think they can get. They put it out there. You don't get it. When you think, look at a game like Low Nelly, I was very right off the bat. I was, I was with the Pinsiders. Is it a joke? Is that the price that they're really selling this thing for you? And, and, and how much flack we got for, you know, Jetsons that's fifty nine ninety nine compared to a game like that at a higher price. It just, you know, for me, I was like, it's just an EM style game. It's just, you know, and real scoring. It's basically, it was really cool. You know, Dennis Norman and, and Craig, you know, what they do, what they did and what I thought they were going to do is just build these up. I thought I was really, I was willing to support them. You know, I bought a Wonelli Playfield. I bought a Wonelli Backlash with the cool wood frame. It's sitting in my office. I'm like, this is really cool, guys. Let me buy it, sign it, put it in my office. And I was really, really, really disappointed when that got priced by Stern. Uh, same thing for Dennis, uh, for the um, the zombie uh, pin, um, uh, pitch and bat game. I said, really cool, Dennis. This is cool. I can sell a lot of these. You're going to do really well. Good job. Um, let's see what happens. And then, you know, Valley Dynamo got their hands on it and they overpriced it. Maybe they're selling it. I don't know. I, you know, no one calls me wanting one, but that being said, I mean, it's, it's fair game to get a, acquire a license or the rights to, to build something and price it, whatever you want. But at times you miss the mark. And, um, and, and there's so many different factors that, that decide, you know, what that is. And, um, but Stern does have a lot of market experience and believe me, whatever happens with Beatles and whatever's happened in the past, they'll use to, to price monsters and everything going forward. And I have, without a doubt, I think they're going to be continue to be successful and, and be profitable and all of that. I mean, if I had the money today, I would be a guy who would be like Stern, how, how much, I mean, I want to buy Stern because I mean, it's just. I still feel like they, they, the, the brand is, is so good and they have missteps, but ultimately I think they do uh, bring guys like me and other guys in industry in and, and they do listen and they, and they make changes. And um, so it's, it's hard, but yeah, I mean, if you look at it compared to Jersey Jack and, and some of his games, um, they're the, going with something overly complex I mean, super complex with LCD and all. And, and that's a 400 some pound machine. If you look at these, you know, dialed in and, um, you know, Hobbit and part, I mean, wow. And so, yeah, looking next to each other, but at the same time, you know, Stern is a, is a brand that has held up. I mean, the, the well in terms of pricing and, um, certain to support. And I mean, they've just proven themselves. It's tough. It's, it's hard to like compare those two companies because it's, it's, uh, it's com- two different methodologies behind what goes into the games and two different pricing strategies. And, um, I don't know that, Certainly Stern doesn't want to like um, only make one version of a game and make it, you know, and only make $9,000 games. And Jersey Jack um, may want to have a, a tiered pricing where they have a lower model. But right now they're very content being production constrained and selling high margin products. Um, so if they only make a thousand games a year and they sell them at a huge margin because they're, they're so great, then 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 great. And I think a lot of this is going to come down to licensing and you've got a lot of players coming after licenses, which I think is great. As a retailer, you're kind of like loving, oh my God, Beatles is finally getting made and I'm hearing about Toy Story and I'm hearing about Willy Wonka and I'm hearing about all these, all these rumors are coming out and I'm like, make them all. I want to sell them all. 
you know, when a family contacts me, I want to give them like a hundred choices. So this is all good. It's all as I kind of predicted would happen as we brought the home consumer into this market and we, and we grew it and we said, yeah, there is a market for home pinballs. Here we are. Now, where do we go from here? And I think where we go from here is, um, a lot of things in the market are at the same point. It's probably going to hit a tipping point at some point. Um, and the strong companies that are well capitalized and will survive. And um, we'll see. Will we go down to one or no manufacturers? I don't think so. I think pinball will be alive for a long time, partly because of the music business and part because the home consumers are here and which weren't here in like the 70s and 80s and, you know, before the last you know issue that pinball had so it, it is i mean that's just that's just my two cents i'm just one yeah, guy with no. him, but that's what i think well I, I think you see a lot of the the landscape though because you you know you're you speak to the customers and i think a lot of times too there's this misconception that pinside is the only uh customer base for pinball and, and we know that that is a very 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 small uh, portion of the people that actually buy these games and look to put pinball in their homes. Um, I think, you know, the industry is going to shake up in 2019. I do. I, I think I'm super excited by the amount of games and the amount of manufacturers, but I also think it's a climate now, Nick, where if your game's not good, I you're in trouble because there's yeah. so much good stuff to choose from. Yeah, you're right. I think a company like, um, like, I think Stern can can have failures and, and and jump right back in with a good license or and, and be fine. I think Jersey Jack with the capital they have and the, and the Abbott family behind them is in the same boat now. And so I think that those companies survive. And Chicago Gaming with the backbone of remakes and how great those games and just I mean giving providing such great value on those remakes at the prices that they're selling them at it. It's great. It's crazy that they do that. But the, you know they're they're not being greedy for, for sure. But they're they're doing a great job with that. And and the fact that they'll probably come to market with some. Um, you know, licenses that are not remakes, and 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 they're looking forward to see what they can do there. Um, and you got companies like Deep Root and and, and um, American Pinball, and hey, you kind of feel like more the merrier to a point because honestly, we're at a point to where unless some things happen, and we're going to do our best to to be some of those some things, but the manufacturers and the amount of games being built is growing so rapidly and it very easily could outpace the growth of the consumer market or the barcade market or the people who would be buying those machines. And every new game on the market ultimately doesn't go away. Like cars ultimately, you know, go to the junkyard. Most pinball machines today that are being built today are going to be around for 10, 20, 30 years in someone's basement. So they're always going to take a piece of that market. And so you wonder in the end what's going to happen. Um, and, and it's very easy to see that, um, you're not going to have. You're probably not going to have five manufacturers each making ten thousand games a year. You probably always have you know manufacturers that are fine making money at the low price points or at the low production um, numbers. And there's going to be companies that are always pushing and trying to go higher and higher. On the balance, those numbers are still going to always rise. Chicago Gaming gets to the point where they're making five, six, ten thousand games a year. Stern wants to go higher and higher. Jersey Jack wants to maybe be a player on a lower price point. I don't know. I'm just saying if they did. That would definitely bring their sales numbers up if they, I mean, uh, uh, unit numbers up if they decide to go after licenses. And let's say they do a Toy Story at fifty nine ninety nine in a standard cabinet. I mean, who? They're another player. Um, and and Deep Root, very ambitious goals. I think they'll, you know, they'll they'll do very well. Um, but then you're also hitting a market where there's so many choices, and so it would be interesting to see what their unit sales look like. So at the end, it's it's going right. to be a great twenty nineteen. So great to be in pinball. 
Um, you know, so it's, 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 it's where we kind of thought it would be 12 years ago. We thought the consumer market would grow and we kind of thought that the number of manufacturers would grow and, uh, we we're very, very excited to have to see that happen. It's, it's more than we thought. It's really, it's, it's way beyond. I thought we would be, so I thought we'd maybe get to three strong manufacturers. It seems like we could have four or five very soon that are making at least a thousand machines a year. So, but, uh, coming from where we came, it's, it's great. Nick, one one final question, and, and and then we can get back to watching. I have it on mute. One of the most epic football games ever: the Chiefs versus the Rams right now, twenty three twenty three at halftime. Um, so let me ask you a question, because you know, as we look at the new players getting into the hobby, and and you're a business guy, and you study marketing. I work in marketing for a living. I'm always so perplexed at why everyone is trying to go after the same piece of the pie at the same, roughly the same price point. And as you said, 13 million millionaires, there are a lot of very wealthy collectors in this hobby that nobody's really catering or trying to make a game specifically for them. Why don't we have a company that comes out and says, hey, we're going to make just 50 Jawses and that's it. And they're going to be $50,000 each. And I bet you they could find 50 buyers immediately for a title like that. And it's just, again, like I, I, I've been in people's homes where it's like, this is a $10 million home. This is my $300,000 car. And if that guy's in the pinball, it's nothing to him. Um, I think that you're starting to see a hint of that. I mean, even if you just look at the Beatles, you know, thing where you, you've got a hundred, I mean, it's there, but it's always packaged. It's been packaged but the, with but the problem there. Nick, it's the same game though. Right. No yeah. guy wants to pay $25,000 and then some dude pays eight and has the same exact experience. Right. Yeah. So you're, so I, I think that if you got a license that was a dream license for me would be Michael Jackson. Someone just build Michael Jackson because, I mean, you can think of what you want, but, I mean, the guy's music and his career and you've got Cirque du Soleil and all that. Uh, after Beatles, I'm thinking, okay, finally, are we gonna get my, I've been saying that. My wife would just, you know, knock me out right now. I said, stop talking about Michael Jackson, but I think it would do great. But let's just say you took Michael Jackson and you got the license um, somehow. I don't know. You know, let's, let's, <laughs> and let's say the license was $1,000 a game and you, and you made – hundred of them um what would that game go for you know 50 i mean it probably could go for fifty thousand just because of how big michael jackson is you know and and or something like that jaws i don't know it's probably fifty thousand, but i guess what what i'm saying is i think you will see that i think you will see that i think from the it'll be designed like jetsons but not as you know 100 because it failed to you know to, to work out but i mean i think you'll see it from the standpoint of um, someone will at the get-go say, I want this license and I'm rich and I'm only going to make, you know, 50. But, and, 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 I guess, yeah, and what I'm just like, and still what perplexes me is like, if you look at a company like Lamborghini or Bugatti or Ferrari, and this is what I'm always like, like if you're going to charge $50,000 for a pinball machine, don't just make it because it's limited. Like literally go over every element of the machine and improve the materials, improve the engineering. It should look like when you stand in front of a fifty thousand dollar machine, like nothing you've ever seen before. You know, and I think yeah, what, I what, what I'm hung up on now is like, and I think John Papaduke was the first person to actually try and like redesign every element of the game, which sent him spiraling into bankruptcy. But at least when you look at a Zidware game, it just had that sort of premiumness to it that yeah. nothing else had. At that time, 
right. and and so we'll see. Uh, that's always like I was my very desire. super. I'm, I'm I'm very super impressed with what I saw with Magic Girl and what his plans are with Alice in Wonderland when I visited him in Chicago. So um, so yeah, there's definitely that possibility of someone coming in and really doing some really crazy innovative stuff. Like some early '90s games came out with some things that really turned some heads and. And I and I think that, that that's still a potential. Some of the you're throwing LCD screens and some of the things that are being done are fine, but there's not really something that is just super out there. Excited to see what you know. Some of these maybe these just aren't pinball minds. Maybe they're just people from other industries that need to become pin, pinball head pinball fans and just feel like, well, but, um, but, but it's it's probably coming. I mean, if we, if we can continue in the phase we're going where there's money being flowing into pinball and somebody with the right amount of money might just say, you know, let's let's bring in super engineers and you know astronauts or i don't know like let's right, make right, this right. thing incredible let's make the i mean right now you're seeing some balls that are flying through midair into a box and stuff like that but maybe there's a, a ball that shoots and it deflects based on the design it deflects off a couple targets and ends up over here or you know there's there's just got to be something but but that, that those things those things will come to fruition i'm, I'm surprised that's your last question and and we're really not going to get into pinball hall of fame and, and that whole story, but no, you know, no, no. We have, I'm, I'm, I'm not, let's, let's, let, I'm not, I'm, we don't have to be done. Let's talk about the pinball hall of fame. So that is your next project um, in Chicago, right? You're looking, you, have you found the location for it yet? So yeah. And, and, and just, if you allow me, let me kind of reiterate the backstory that people don't know is that, right. you know, um, I, I went, I very much saw a model in us, um, having showrooms in major markets nationwide, but those showrooms couldn't just be like car showrooms where you just said, come buy pinball machines that they had to kind of be like, um, arcades, kind of like the pinball hall, uh, hall of fame in Las Vegas. And when we went there, I said, this could be my showroom. This could be my West coast showroom. And I, and I, and I read somewhere that, that Tim might be interested in selling. And I went down there and I did my work. I said, look, this is this is great. Of course, we would probably change the lineup, do more modern, get rid of some EMs, clean this place up, put a new sign up, you know, whatever. Really turn this into something great. And I said, I want to buy it. And he said, Yeah, I'll sell it to you. And he said, um, This is what it's worth. And I said, I agree. And we shook hands. So that is what you know. I'm 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 not afraid to talk about that at this point because for two years we thought we were buying the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas, and for two years, um, you know, we got, our, you know, he he drug his feet and would not. So, you know, signed the contract that we agreed to, and we shook hands and said, "This is this is what we're running to pay." He said, "Sure, I'll sell it to you," and and didn't sign the contract. And I'm not, I'm just saying he has his reasons. It's his baby. As soon as he had a real buyer, he kind of backtracked on his wanting to sell it, and he listened to a lot of my ideas for what I was going to do with the Hall of Fame, and he decided, "No, I'm going to keep this and do those things myself." <laughs> so I mean, that's fine. It is what it is, but people do have to understand the backstory. Right. So that being said. We still were dedicated to the model, um, and and we also did a side agreement with him. So while you're still waiting on being ready, we'll license the name and we'll do Pinball Hall of Fame Chicago and so forth. And he said yes. He shook my hands and said, "Well, look, we can do that." And I, and we were going to give two percent of the revenues at the in Chicago and everywhere else we went um, to the Salvation Army, and 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 again. Send him the send him the documents I got back to St. Louis. I, I sent him the DocuSign. Here's the agreement we talked about, and he didn't sign it. So now I'm thinking, well, gosh, I was so excited about using the name Pinball Hall of Fame Chicago. But then I got to thinking, he's a non for profit, and what's wrong with and and will be a for profit, and what's wrong with calling it Chicago Pinball Hall of Fame? And our lawyers agree. So we're we we like that name, and so we're going to go with that. And really, we're, our goal is to have a 
museum, arcade, kind of like the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. Um, paid admission, all that you can play pinball, and it will serve as our showroom in Chicago. And we want to duplicate that in other major markets, and that's really where I think we're going to find a lot of growth as far as the pinball company is concerned. Because all those millionaires and people that we're not reaching because every, all those distributors are going after the same pie and, and that pie is being divided in a million pieces, um, we're actually interested in growing the pie and bringing people who don't even know about pinball, don't even know who Stern is, don't even know about Jersey Jack or any of that stuff, and we're going to bring into the story of modern pinball and, we're, and, and how we got to where we are, and we're going to give them the opportunity to play um, 150 modern pinball machines, and hopefully they'll get the bug and want to buy one, and that only helps everybody. It helps the manufacturers. It helps p people in the community who may want to sell machines. Um, it, it just It's just good for pinball as a whole. It brings people to not only the hobby but to the players' side of things, so the IFPA, more and more people get the bug. And, and it's just it's good for pinball in the long run to do this model, and we're happy to be the risk takers you know, to go right, out there and right. do it. And I, and, I, and I love what you've done with, with the silver ball. Um, bar in Columbia, Missouri. If you guys haven't seen it, please do a Google image search of Silver Ball. Uh, it is a really, really cool bar, Nick. I mean, I think I love what you've done with the place because I think that the 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 key is to create an environment that people also want to hang out in. It's not just like only yeah. pinball. And I and I always point to like modern pinball in New York City, where it's like it's kind of empty because there's nothing else to do there. Like there's no right. drinks, there's no music, there's no atmosphere um where sunshine much better f model of having more of a social place and pinball and also the, the uniqueness of it being in a laundromat makes it very uh yeah, yeah very, that's cool like a timeout new york must see thing um so how far along are you in terms of the the chicago pinball hall of fame is is it something we're okay. going to see a red ribbon cutting next year yeah, I mean, without a doubt, in my mind, that's my goal is to um, we're working on I mean, we have we've agreed to terms. Um, we've agreed to terms um, on a space um, and at Woodford Mall, um, you know, which is like one of the largest malls in the country and has 25 million visitors a year. So we it is going to bring people the masses to be exposed to this huge um, pinball thing. They're going to see the word pinball. Just having a billboard in an area where 25 million people, and it's just with the word pinball on it, is going to be good for our industry. But here's something a little more than that. It's actually going to be, you know, come on in and play some pinball, grab a drink. Um, and I appreciate what you said about Silver Ball. The goal there was really to tell people who are, you know, in the pinball community that, you know, look, you can roll out the red carpet. You can have crystal chandeliers and high-end modern finishes, and that is for you. That is not just for, you know, a Las Vegas a nightclub people who are in the pinball world deserve to have a venue like that that is just really inviting you want to hang out it has the new modern games like mario karts and thing you know walking dead shooting game and you know those types of things uh the pinball machines are kind of like up there on the pedestal uh upstairs all lined up beautifully and um all you know newer games and in and this place is for you you know I, I really wanted to do and i was just throwing money at it like let's just make this place awesome right. and maybe it'll work and the place is just extremely successful and and so we're like wow okay so this can so when you when you go to the, the chicago pinball hall of fame and when it does open it'll have that same type of when in comparison to maybe others um museums with large collections you're going to be like wow, this place is really cool. It's like, you know, we want to do high-end finishes. We want it to look really nice in there. 
heavy museum quality, have a ton of modern pinball machines, have a, a party room for people to book if they want to have parties, have a really nice bar, frozen drinks, um, beers on tap, probably local Chicago brewer craft beers on tap, things like that. We want, And so many people have reached out that want to support us by bringing in um, pinball artifacts and help create exhibits and, and, and you know, just contribute. And people who, it's like their dream job. They want to be the technician at the at Chicago Pinball Hall of Fame. I'm like, bring it. Bring it. The only, there's one thing that I've gotten criticized from is the name. And I'm going to defend myself um, that uh, that was my vision for two years, thinking that I was going to be the rightful owner of that Pinball Hall of Fame name. And I just could not back from that. And I feel like, you know, in the end, building many of these across the country, our goal is, you know, maybe Chicago and Texas, uh, pardon me, is uh, Florida and Texas within five years, and then looking at big markets like LA and and New York and probably Las Vegas too. If we do Las Vegas, it'll be like in the forum shops or, you know, one of the larger shopping centers uh, right on the strip. Um, but that'll be dependent on a lot of factors. If the other ones are successful and, and what we learn from those. But but in the end, uh, I think what we're doing really truly represents a modern Pinball Hall of Fame and we'll have e a collection of EMs. And, and like I said, if that's the one criticism we're going to get, then I'm going to stand by that. And, uh, and 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 I think it's I think we've talked about calling it Silver Ball Museum, but that's been used. Uh, we talked about calling it you know the pinball company, but that won't really represent what it is. So um, and 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 you yourself, what do you think of the name Chicago Pinball Effect? Yeah, I mean, look, in marketing, you want as little confusion as possible <laughs> when you're when you're dealing with you know consumers. I I, I think it works, and and I'm and I'm excited to see it open because I, I do think that so much of, of introducing pinball to new generation, you know, it has to do with the environment because, you know, pinball used to be really cool. Like people who played pinball were cool. People hung out in arcades were like cool. And yeah. I think, you know, when you go into like, and, and again, I don't mean to be like stereotypical, <laughs> but when you go to some <laughs> of these pinball shows, like it's not that cool if you're an outsider looking in if you know if you're again because i think the environment just breeds more just like older guys that are stereotypical pinball but when you make the environment really cool you look and maybe the best way to say this is you need to do something that gets both genders in <laughs> you need to do something that like kids can have a good time and you know as well it just can't be this like good old boys club and i think yeah. you know when we see the people who complain a lot about um maybe the name or this or that. I think there's a lot of entitlement by the good old boy club of pinball, but this is the future of pinball and it only grows when you introduce it to new people and you've got yeah, to make those environments more contemporary. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And, and I said, I really wish we would have gotten the done, deal done in Las Vegas and that would have been our focus is to remodel that and turn that into something amazing. And then we go to Chicago number two, but it happened what had happened and, you know, I wish Tim luck um, and I wish we could ha still have partnered um, in some way, but it is what it is. I'm still going to support what he's doing and, and recommend people go there when they're in Las Vegas and, and, and check out because it is it is special. I'm excited to see what he's done. Hopefully there's no hard feelings, but but honestly, for me, um, I just got glued to that name and I couldn't 
I couldn't get away with it because the, my concept, well, I thought really represented a pinball hall of fame. And, and in the long run, if you Google pinball hall of fame, say five, 10 years from now, the Chicago one's probably going to come up first. Um, because <laughs> I'm a marketing guy. So right, right, not right. that the Las Vegas will be forgotten, but there, but, but certainly I'm going to let the world know that the best place to come play pinball machines is in Chicago or really hopefully in the country is, is make Chicago. And I'll probably always try to make Chicago the, the best one, you know, what I do in, other markets may not be as cool, but I'm in the first one. I really want to blow people away, so I'll probably go the extra mile with with my money to to, to really deck it out and 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 make it great. And um, you know, like I said, I think that in the long run, we need many strong manufacturers that build great games at the right prices. We need um, shows like the Texas Pinball F- Festival and the Expo and in all major markets, and they need to be shows like Comic Con. They really need to be big productions. So we really need to let up our game and and continue to improve upon the shows and and give people low admission prices and and and, and get people in there playing pinball and be excited about pinball. And, and I think we're in the right direction here. There's so many shows and just can continue to elevate the level. And that will and and they'll be elevated by just getting more people to those shows through promoting pinball. There needs in major markets like Chicago and. Dallas and in you know Denver and you know everywhere there needs to be a place where there's a you can go play a bunch of machines um, and and we're going to try to play a role there and and you need to be seeing pinballs on TV shows and movies in the background not just in the background people playing it and and it, it is a cool thing it needs to get back into that that realm of being a cool thing and pinball shows having a name for themselves and just. Anything we can do, pinball leagues being a thing, <laughs> you know, and they are a thing, but just continue. Whatever we can do to support you know, pinball, we're going to continue to do because for us at this stage of our, you know, it's not 100. I mean, it's about surviving and, and, and making money that we can redeploy um, to continue to grow pinball. But it's it's really about what the pinball company's legacy is and, and what role we're going to play and making all the things I just said happen. And that's really what I'm going to put my, you know, put my nose down and be like, forget what the pin size guy says in 10 years, let's look back and see what I've done. And, um, and, right. and it's not going to be about myself. It's going to be I think the, the easiest way to summarize it, Nick is, bitching about stuff on pin side has never done anything to grow the hobby has never done anything to make pinball much better other than change some bad art packages. But look, Nick, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I think for the people who listen to this podcast, all 15 to 1700, maybe 2000 on a good night. That many? Yeah, wow. yeah, it's not bad. Um, now I'm rethinking all the things I said. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, thought we, like, um, well, we, I thought it was like 10 people, you know, but it's cool. <laughs> no, we, we, um, we, I, I look, I think I, I speak um, for a lot of people when I say that I think you're a wonderful ambassador for, the, for pinball. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about you. That's why I wanted you to come on the show and, and talk and, and share your story. Um, and, and again, like, I, I think that your vision for how you want to grow pinball is one that all of us should be applauding because I do. I, I, I do think it's it's a wonderful hobby. And as much as we argue with each other and, and complain about things, ultimately, um, I, I, I've had nothing but an amazing experience in, in seeing the way pinball can bring people together and unite people over a shared passion like pinball. So we really look forward to um, seeing what becomes of the Chicago Pinball Hall of Fame um, and Nick and, and your future ventures within pinball. So I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks for inviting me on the show. Um, we talked about all the good things and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I, I, I said I don't do this a whole lot. I mean, time is an issue um, and, and always 
careful with what I put out there, but hopefully I won't regret if I watch it. I probably won't watch it, but um, and, <laughs> you can only and, hear and I would it. just say that there's people, the people who want to learn more about just what we do and 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 how to play a role um, in in this. I'm always open. That's I mean, so one thing I am is just always open um, to to people's criticisms and, and and like really hearing their ideas and. And, uh, and so just reach out to me if you want to learn more about it. If you have questions about anything we talked about, um, just reach out to me, pinballcompany.com, email me, call our office. Uh, I make myself available to guys like you all the time. Awesome. Well, Nick, have an amazing night. Have a great Thanksgiving with the family. And it's my uh, 40th we'll... birthday on Thanksgiving Day. Whose birthday? <laughs> it's my 40th birthday. So, oh, congrats. Um, not really doing anything special, just kind of with family. It's just another day, but it, it is kind of a, a milestone for me being 40 years old, all the gray here coming in. Yeah, welcome to the 40 Club. I, I, I turned 42 in September. It's uh, <laughs> Nice. It's not, it's not all so bad. I'm... Yeah, no, it gets good. Uh, well, Nick, thank you so much. Have, have a great Thanksgiving and happy early birthday. And, and hopefully we'll get you on the show again you know, in the near future. We, we always love to just talk pinball. You know, we can always just jump in and get into what's going on in the hobby. But um, you've been a great guest. Yeah, let's, without a doubt, let's talk again um, next October about what actually comes to fruition in yeah. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Nick, have a great night, and we'll, we'll talk to you in the future. You too. Take care now. All right, bye. Do you agree with me?